I'm Katya. And I'm Rin. And we're here at the Commonwealth Center for Holistic Herbalism in Boston, Massachusetts. And on the internet everywhere, thanks to the power of the podcast. Woo! Mm-hmm. <laughs> All right, episode 125. Oh, that sounds like... Isn't that sesquicentennial? Sure, let's go with that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay, so on the pod this week, a student asked a question... Um, all of our video courses have discussion threads on them so that students can type questions right while they're watching if they want to. And I was answering it and the answer was talking about ways in which holistic herbalism is really, really different from the practice of conventional medicine. Which is a topic that we just don't get bored of. No, we, we never get tired of talking about that, right? Because For, for reasons that we're going to discuss here. Yeah. <laughs> because we talk about like herbalism is not the practice of medicine and we make that distinction very clearly because we don't want anybody to think that we are practicing medicine without a license Mm -hmm. but also because we are not like this isn't the practice of medicine they're really two different things and they can be woven together um but but yeah it never gets old talking about how they're different (laughs) (laughs) um in part because we find it necessary to do that not just for our students you know but for ourselves too Yes. Yeah. yeah. And um, for and for the world also because man everybody we all grew up in this medicinal model and so when people come to herbalism it's necessary to reset some expectations cuz things don't work the same as they do in the medical model. Exactly. Yeah. So that's what we're going to be talking about today. But first, let's get our reclaimer going on and remind you that we are not doctors, we are herbalists and holistic health educators. The ideas discussed in this podcast do not constitute medical advice. That's because this is not the practice of medicine. <laughs> they constitute herbal advice, I suppose. <laughs> yeah. No state or federal authority licenses herbalists in the United States. So these discussions are for educational purposes only. Everybody's body is different. So the things that we're talking about may or may not apply directly to you, but we hope that they'll give you some good information to think about and research further. And we want to remind you that good health is your own personal responsibility. The final decision when you're considering any course of therapy, whether it's discussed by two herbalists on the internet or prescribed by any number of physicians, (laughs) uh, is in fact always yours. Yes. (laughs) All right. So. All right. Well, uh, maybe I should read the question to start with. Yeah. Let's start with that. Um, You know, hold on. Or maybe some context for it. Yeah. But before that. I just have to note that like we always sit here and we have our laptops so that we can look at the notes and have everything go smoothly. And you have your laptop and I have my laptop and I don't even know why I bother to bring my laptop because I always just look at yours. <laughs> <laughs> the grass is greener. I guess so. The <laughs> anyway, text is it's clearer on yours. I don't even know. It's bigger. It's something. <laughs> okay. Well, anyway, we were talking about this question and... Uh, was it in the immune health course, perhaps? Because they're it talking was, about, yeah, yeah, it was in the immune health course, um, and so this was where um, this was where we were talking about immune function and white blood cell count and herbs that can increase white blood cell count, and the question was, wow, does codonopsis also increase white blood cell production as well? I often consider it similarly to bone set. And would these herbs generally be a bad idea for someone with leukemia who already has high levels of white blood count, white blood cell? And so maybe let's just pause and say, okay, you can see the reason that someone's going to be thinking in this direction. Yeah. You're going along, you're learning about herbs, you're learning about codonopsis or bone sets or other immune tonics. And you're seeing notes like, oh, you know, here's somebody who had lowered uh, white blood cell counts and deficient immune response, and they started taking this herb, and their immune response improved, and Mm. they became healthier, and um, even in some cases, yeah, we did see greater, um, uh, either greater production of white blood cells, or maybe greater activity of them, or responsiveness, or, you know, some other metric that we could look at. And so you say, all right, that's cool, but a little is good. (laughs) Maybe too much would be too much, right? What if we had somebody who already had elevated white blood cell levels? And here's an herb that's been shown in some contexts to raise them. And so you put two and two together and you say, I don't know, four could be pretty dangerous. (laughs) (laughs) So you can definitely see the rationale, right? And and this this line of reasoning is something that's going to probably make sense to most people who grew up in this culture. 
because this is the way that we would have to think in order mm-hmm. to proceed safely. We would have to think this way about a pharmaceutical agent. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And also, I think that even before going any further, I want to say that there's nothing wrong with thinking this way. Um, we're going to we're gonna sort of break this down and talk about why herbs don't really work in the way that we often expect things to, to happen when we're coming from a medicinal model mindset. But, um, but it's always okay to err on the side of safety, right? It's always okay to say, well, I don't know, maybe this would be a problem. So I should probably be really conservative. That's always a fine thing to do. Right. Like with elderberry recently. Yes. So, um, uh, we've got an article about this topic. If you just type elderberry into our search bar on commonwealthherbs.com, um, this will be one of the several elderberry yeah. <laughs> and elder-related articles that will pop up for you. But this was about a um, a concern that some uh, some herbalists have been voicing or responding to lately that uh, elderberry, you know, is understood to be an immune-stimulating herb, and uh, there was concern about causing what's called a cytokine storm, which is a kind of over... Uh, over-enthusiastic uh, to a, a very dangerous degree um, kind of immune response. And um, some folks had drawn this connection and said, oh, well, elderberry has been shown in some studies to increase the levels of these kinds of cytokines. Some of those have been in, have been implicated in the cytokine storm or they're the ones that we're worried about in that phenomenon. So does that mean that elderberry could cause a cytokine storm? Mm. Does that mean that we should not give this to people who may be encountering coronavirus or that we should be really cautious in people with uh, certain kinds of immune immune state. And to go back to what you were saying a moment ago, the answer is, yeah, you can always be cautious. Sure, yeah. you don't need to take elderberry. Nobody needs to take elderberry, right? right? There are so many plants. <laughs> there are lots of plants that can support health and support immunity and don't have that specific concern. And so if that's going to make you feel safer, great, do that. Mm. Always do that. No yeah. problem at all. The article does go on to say why this is not not really something that is a concern, yeah. but it's but yeah, but that's the point. It's always okay to to play it safe. One hundred percent of the time, it's okay to play it safe. Yeah, but we can sometimes kind of err too far on that side. Yeah, right. Yeah, or we could at least say it's fine to err on the side of caution, but it's also great to know when you are being overcautious. Yeah, <laughs> uh, even if you continue to do so. Yeah. That's fine. All right. Well, so to go back to this original question, and now that we've established that it's always okay to be cautious, here's the thing. Herbs are not pharmaceuticals. And uh, Rin has a, had made a note about uh, episode number 101, where we talked about herbs are different than drugs. So if you didn't hear yeah. that one yet. Yeah, check it out. We laid out um, three of of the many <laughs> three three critical or three important ways in which herbs are really different from pharmaceuticals and uh that should be helpful so check that one out yeah yeah but the thing is that drugs are what we all or at least what almost all of us grew up with that model is what we grew up with so we think about everything from that perspective and since a drug could force the production of white blood cells it could be dangerous for someone with leukemia but codonopsis doesn't force production of anything, and very, very few herbs actually do that. Right, yeah. What would it mean for a drug to force something to happen in the body? Well, you could say, all right, we know that there's a physiological process, and if this particular kind of signal is delivered to this particular kind of cell, then there's going to be this cascade of reactions, right? So, you know, there are cells in your body. Uh, structures in your body that produce white blood cells and they have a number of different influences on their activity level right hormones and neurotransmitters and nerve signals and physical signals from what you actually do with your body in space oh, yeah right all these different things are going to influence production but you could definitely imagine a situation in which we've found some chemical key and if you deliver that key to the right receptor site on those white blood cell producing structures in your body then it's like flipping a switch or it's like pouring gasoline Mm. on a fire. It's like, okay, we're going to do this now. Everything's going to happen. Right. Um, And so that's the way that a lot of pharmaceuticals work is that they, they are a substance that your body reacts to. And it says, okay, this is my job now. This is what I'm going to do. I have to do all signals say, this is time to do this, do this work, do this 
product make this job happen. Now, I want to put an asterisk about that next to that because I don't want to get too far into the weeds. But I do want to acknowledge that even though we can create pharmaceuticals that force things to happen, uh, drugs don't always work for all people. And sometimes you're just too depleted even to force something to happen. And Mm -hmm. so there are definitely... um, there are definitely situations in which we could create a drug that would have a particular intended outcome and that it just simply would not work for a particular person because they didn't have the reserves in the body. Like no matter how many times you say, um, get me a glass of water. If you have no water, you'd be like, well, I can do this glass, but there's nothing (laughs) in it because I have no water. And so you could keep poking the person and say, get me a glass of water. And the person can keep responding, but it would just be an empty glass. So I don't want to follow that too much further because that that's a whole other thing. And it's fascinating and really cool, but that's not exactly where I want to focus today. Right. So like in the, in the sort of, um, ideal, you know, platonic form of, of a drug. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Yeah. 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 I just want to make, um, allowance for that. And I want to acknowledge that that allowance is actually very large and it does play in, in part to what we're going to talk about next, which is that. So if, a if Codonopsis in particular, because that's the herb we're talking about right now, um, doesn't force production of white blood cell count, then how come we can see that um, in studies, sometimes people who take Codonopsis have increased white blood cell production? And a big part of the reason is that Codonopsis nourishes bone marrow. It's a food plant. It provides the stuff that your bone marrow needs, or at least some of the stuff that your bone marrow needs to be healthy. Yeah, and stuff means a lot of things. Right? <laughs> stuff. Yeah. It means lots of stuff. Okay, well, what am I saying? Uh, this is true on the level of literal nutritive uh, elements, mm-hmm. like mineral content and, uh, you know, some other things that are just just to be considered part of food. N- nourishment. Yeah, yeah. 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 Um, but in the case of Codonopsis, it's also tied in with this herb's effects as an adaptogen, as mm-hmm. an herb that improves hormonal communications in the body. Yeah. Um, And so, again, when we think about the whole variety of different influences on the bone marrow to produce white blood cells and to make them healthy and strong, Mm -hmm. um, Codonopsis is helping in a, in what we'd call a nourishing way, both through like direct delivery of literal building blocks, but also through, let's call it creating a nourishing environment. Right. Yeah. Like, wherever... how, like how you want to create a, a nurturing environment for children to grow. Right. 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 You want to create a nurturing environment. And that includes not just like, is there food available, but also, you know, as are, are all communications between parties <laughs> taking place in a, in a respectful manner. Right. right is right. everybody's voice being heard? Are we all clear about what's going on around us? And it's right. just happening in your body at the level of the marrow. Okay. And that, by the way, mm-hmm. that's what the endocrine system is doing. It, the endocrine system is communicating. And when we hear endocrine, we typically think about reproductive health and maybe stress management because those are the two things we focus on. But Hormones are responsible for sending jillions of different messages throughout the body. Um, and a lot of them have to do with your bones. Hmm. All right. So why why are we talking about bones? Weren't we talking about white blood cells? Because white blood cells are produced in the bone marrow. And red ones too. And, yeah, and platelets. <laughs> lot, like the bone bones are gloriously complex. We sort of think of them as just like, like cement blocks or whatever that are formed in the shape of the skeleton, but they're, they are so dynamic. So one of the things that happens there is that these different cells are created. And so if your bone marrow is very healthy, then it will make healthy white blood cells that uh, are sufficient to do the job that needs to be done. But here's the thing, not not every bone marrow is healthy. And so not every white blood cell is going to be produced in a quality manner. And that might seem like a kind of shocking statement because we are so accustomed to hearing, well, like, yeah, white blood cells are just made in the bone marrow. So we just think that just happens, but it doesn't just happen. So here's an example that, um, that you can see, right? Sometimes it's hard to think about these things microscopically, but here's an example you can see. Think about your fingernails right? Some people have strong, lovely nails that don't chip 
and they're naturally smooth and they grow in the right shape. And other people have thin nails that chip often or they split or they grow with like a curve over the edge or whatever, or they have really strong ridges in them. Mm. So just because your body is supposed to have fingernails, that doesn't guarantee that you're going to have nice fingernails. I'm you... finding it so hard to not like investigate my nails right now. <laughs> yeah. It's like, whoa, what's going on in here? <laughs> right? You have to make sure that you provide your body with all the stuff that it requires to create good quality fingernails. It's not a guarantee. Um, so this is true like hair, you know, if you, oh, remember, I, it was so hard for me to grow my hair out past, like I got it to my shoulders and then I couldn't get it any longer than that. It just would not grow longer. And then I started drinking nettles like crazy and it was providing more of the resources that my body needed to produce hair. And suddenly I grew my hair down to my butt and you might be looking at me now because I have really short hair now, but, um, you know, you had long hair. I had really long hair. It was long. And, and it was longer than it looked too. Cause it was curly. Yeah. So, so when you, you straightened, you straightened it, 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 was, it, was like, really yeah. <laughs> so, so the point here is you've had experience with this kind of thing, either in your own body or maybe you have a friend with chip nails or, or whatever. And so this is about providing what your body needs. And if you live on Doritos and Twinkies and pizza, then you maybe don't have all of the resources that are required to have nice fingernails, which is why we talk so much about food. Yeah. It's not just the nails y'all. It's like basically everything. It's your whole body. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You are what you eat. You are what you assimilate. Yeah. Yeah. And so now that I have pulled pizza and Twinkies and Doritos into the discussion. I just also want to say that first off, you do not have to be perfect. Please don't hear that and immediately say, oh my God, if I ever eat a potato chip again, my nails will chip. And my bone marrow won't make white blood cells anymore. No, (laughs) no, it's not that extreme, right? Your body is more resilient than maybe, maybe, I don't know, maybe it's really best for us. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah. So uh, don't take that as like a sign that you have to be perfect in everything that you eat. You just have to make sure that you get what you need. And then the flip side of that is that we also, anytime that we're talking about a requirement of nutrition in order to create health, We also need to recognize that food justice is a serious issue in this country, that only people of means and privilege have access to really good quality food, and that people in marginalized communities, people who don't have a lot of money, who don't have a lot of privilege, do not necessarily have access to good quality food. And so we can't look at somebody and say, hey, your fingernails are splitting. I guess you just don't care about your health right? Because um, maybe they don't have access to the food that they need to grow healthy fingernails. Or maybe right now um, you're in a big funk and the only way that you're finding comfort for yourself is through cake. And you know, that happens too sometimes. So this is not an opportunity to make judgments um, or to feel guilt or shame. This is an opportunity to recognize that food is critically important to being healthy and that that has implications all the way around. But you don't have to be perfect. You just have to get what you need. Yeah. Okay. So it's that way with, there. Yeah. So it's that way with fingernails. It's that way with white blood cells too, right? You can create strong ones that do their jobs really well, but it's not a guarantee, <laughs> right? Yeah. Uh, yeah. You might make some wimpy ones and maybe they break down too easily and don't really help you very much, right? Mm-hmm. And again, it could be because you're lacking the materials to make them sufficiently strong. Um, it could be that your body's trying to compensate by shifting some resources um, to make more, but it just doesn't have everything it needs. So it does the best it can, but it's not all the way there, right? Yeah, like maybe or, maybe you're sick and your body's like, I need a lot of white blood cells, but it doesn't really have what it needs to do that. So it shifts it shifts quantity, but it's but you suffer on quality. Yeah. Or something else could be going on, like maybe your body's doing just fine at producing your immune responders, but they're getting misdirected. Mm. Like maybe you're eating a food allergen you didn't realize you had, and every time you eat it, your body's mounting an immune response and drawing on your reserves and now they're all busy with that and they're not doing their, you know, normal surveillance of all the corridors. Yeah. So, so yeah, all kinds of things could be going on. Um, and again, just because the, the job or the general work of bone marrow is to make, you know, blood cells 
it doesn't automatically guarantee that one particular individual's bone marrow is going to be doing that job very well. Yeah. Um, so we have to help. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we have to help. And now we're back to codenopsis, right? Codenopsis doesn't just force your body to crank out white blood cells. Um, instead, it creates like a supply chain so that the job that needs to be done can be done well. And again, that supply chain is not just nutrients because there are other types of nutrients that your bone marrow also needs, but it, it addresses some of those nutrients and also some of the communication channels and some other, some inflammatory markers and some other things that need to happen in order for this job to be done well. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, Codenopsis has... Um... Like if you if you were drawing a like a flowchart or like a diagram of effects, it's it's not like one straight line that goes from this to this to this to this. It's going to branch. It's going to be a web of effects. They're going to interplay with each other. A very complicated flowchart. Yeah. Yeah. It's going to be great. Yeah. And that's what we like about herbs, right? This isn't a drawback, right? Because you you could look at that and say, well, but I want something that's going to boost white blood cell count, and I want it to be very sh like one straight line. Take this. That happens. Mm -hmm. But with herbs, that's usually not what we're actually looking for. And again, it's a big difference between herbs and drugs. With your drugs, you don't want it to have multiple kinds of effects because you're going to call them side effects and mm -hmm. <laughs> they're going to mm -hmm. complicate your uh, your approval from the <laughs> FDA and, and whoever else, right? Yeah. So um, so it's a, it's a really different um, intention, like from the beginning of trying to create or to, to produce a substance like this. It's a very different intention if you're working with pharmaceuticals versus when you're working with herbs. And when you apply the model of one to the other, then it doesn't really work out very well for you. Yeah. Um, I, I want to note that we're describing some super supportive actions here. And I don't mean that to imply, or we together don't mean that to imply, that no herbs have very active actions. Right. Right. So like if you were to do a time steam, um, with time, or it could be an oregano steam or a, you know, whatever, uh, there is a direct, very active antimicrobial action there. And you really can kill a bunch of germs by breathing that in um, when you happen to be sick. And that will happen because the steam releases some volatile oils that have antimicrobial action, but only on contact. So this won't go all the way through your bloodstream and come back and, and do the job that way. It happens as you breathe it in. That's not the only action that time has. It's not actually literally like you're inhaling Lysol, um, which please don't do that. That which would be good, a terrible thing. Right? Yes. <laughs> yes. Do not do that. Yeah. Um, but it, it, is, it is going to have that action and the temperature of the hot steam um, plus some other actions of the time are going to help raise the temperature of your lungs, which makes it hard for viruses and, and bacteria to live in there. And it's going to stimulate the mucus in your lungs to do the work that it needs to do in, in as part of its immune response. And like, there's a lot of different um, mechanisms by which uh, thyme or oregano or sage or any of those plants breathed in a steam will help your lungs to fight off an infection. And yes, one of them is a direct sort of assist, right? Like, hey, I'm going to help you do the things you need to do. And also, I'm just going to clean up these dishes for you. <laughs> you know, like. Yeah, yeah. right, right. Um, now, I'll just put a little aside here that there are there is a category or a class, you might say, of herbs that do function more like pharmaceuticals. And that tends to be the plants that have very strong chemistry in them. Mm -hmm. um, and by that, I mean that they contain some chemicals in a high enough concentration uh, that are so powerful that they almost override or that they, they cast a shadow over the network of other effects that are happening in that plant. Right. So you imagine an herb like, well, a, a poisonous plant, for instance, yeah. like water hemlock or something where it can shut down your ability to breathe and, and then you can die from that. And that's pretty Bad. scary. Right. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so obviously in that case, this is not some some plant that is uh, benignly providing some nutritive assists to your body and something it was already trying to do, mm. you know, or even like less less extreme uh, example, but something like lobelia. Uh, if you take enough lobelia, it can trigger you to vomit. 
Yep. And again, that's not from Lobelia providing vomitous nutrition. It's, <laughs> uh, it is an alkaloidal, you know, chemical influence on your system. Uh, and it leads to that result in a, in a forceful way, right? So those kinds of herbs do exist. But if you've been following us for any length of time, you know that those herbs don't form the, you know... Core of... The core of our practice. They're... <laughs> You know the the five percent of the of the work that we do is with those those stronger herbs that have more um, what we'd call low dose you know drop dose herbs. Mm. Uh, well, okay. So what you're really saying is that even when we work with them, we are not working with them in that override format. We are right. working with them in a very low dose to have a very mild version of their strong action. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So that's that's kind of an aside, but you know. For the majority of this of this episode in particular, when we're talking about how herbs are safe and herbs are nutritive and herbs are supporting the body and assisting what's going on, yes, there are exceptions to that rule. Yeah, because otherwise it wouldn't be a rule, would it? <laughs> <laughs> but so, but so, what we're really getting at here is that when we think about pharmaceuticals, pharmaceuticals are like a manual override. They are, they are saying, oh, I, the doctor not I, the doctor, but the doctor in this example, uh, recognize that this thing needs to happen and the I do not see the body is doing that thing and therefore I'm going to force that to happen. I'm going to manually override the body's practices, the body's functions with this pharmaceutical and make the thing happen that I think should happen. Hmm. And for the most part, herbs don't work that way. There are herbs that can do it, but we don't usually work with them because they're not what's needed in today's health landscape. Yeah, foxglove can do that, but you know, I'm thinking about digitalis and and the thing is that today if you need that kind of a heart medicine, go get it go get it from a doctor because they have way safer dosing methods uh for a, a pharmaceutical that is made um it's called digitoxin and it's it's made from that plant or maybe they synthesize it now i'm not sure yeah but but regardless they can dose it very specifically it's safer to work with the pharmaceutical version of that um but also that's like today we're dealing with chronic illnesses we're dealing with inflammatory illnesses the landscape of today's um the bulk of today's work doesn't really require that kind of an action. Right. Yeah. Sometimes you need a pharmaceutical because you need a you need a strong forceful intervention right now and you need mm -hmm. it to, to maintain you in a state. But sometimes a diet change and a pot of tea every day is actually going to be more successful. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and being able to tell the difference is what's actually the key here. Right, right, right. right. Not, yeah. not that no herbs can be worked with in acute situations, because obviously, like, in terms of infectious disease, there are lots of herbs that can be super helpful. But, but the way that they're doing that help is by supporting what the body is, is trying to get done instead of overriding what the body is trying to get done. Yeah. So that's the big difference that we're looking for here. Yeah. And again, speaking as holistic herbalists and the way we practice 95% of the time, the herbs are there to provide support, to provide assistance, to provide maybe some gentle stimulation to help mm. the body do what it was already trying to do in the first place. Mm. Um, and, you know, for a little more on that idea, um, check out episode 75 of the pod where we talked about foundational health strategies and evolution's expected inputs. And that was mm. a lot about the this 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 aspect of holistic herbalism where um, there are things that the body expects or, or that evolution um, had in mind, I guess you could say, uh, yeah. <laughs> as we were going along. Um, what we mean is that there were aspects of the way that we lived as humans for the first couple of million years that our species was on the planet um, and our physiology developed in that environment mm -hmm. with physical forces and nutritional inputs that are vastly different from what we have now. Mm -hmm. And getting closer to that is a way to uh, prevent a lot of the modern illnesses, a lot of the um, diseases of modernity. And herbs can really help us to do that because herbs are wild and herbs are in a lot of ways closer to our ancient way of living. Yeah. Yeah. Um... Also, 
I have no idea how you remember all the things we ever talked about on podcasts, but you you always do this. And I'm like, how do you remember that? Like, I don't remember what we talked about well, last okay. week. Well, okay. I didn't like know the episode number off the top of my head. Yeah, I but to, you remember that we up. talked about it at all. <laughs> yeah, like, yeah. Wow. Okay. Well, anyway. Yeah. All right. So back to the original question. I honestly, I have no idea whether I would give codonopsis to somebody who has leukemia. I cannot answer that question. Right, because the word leukemia isn't enough to answer that question right, for exactly. you. Right, exactly. Exactly. You would need to see the person and talk yes. to them and get a whole story and figure out if that was, yeah. Yeah. There are no herbs for diseases, right? We, we because we grew up in this model, we all the time people are like, well, what's a good herb for rheumatoid arthritis? What's a good herb for whatever? And there are no herbs for rheumatoid arthritis. There are herbs for people who maybe have rheumatoid arthritis, but not everybody has it the same. Yeah. I mean, what's a good herb for somebody from Massachusetts? <laughs> I don't know. What's going on for them today? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Even that you can't say. Like, is it a person who is living downtown in Boston or is it a person who is living like in rural wherever of Western Mass? Mm. They don't need the same herb. Yeah. yeah. So, so the thing is that every body is different. And the other thing is that, um, now stay with me here. <laughs> stay with me. Diseases are made up, right? They're not real. The word uh, of the word rheumatoid arthritis has no inherent meaning. Every diagnosis that we talk about that is a code word. That is a specialized language. Shorthand. It's shorthand. It was developed to describe certain sets of symptoms that the conventional medical world has collected together and, and called a particular disease state. But we could organize those symptoms differently. We could choose to focus on different symptoms. We could... Uh, even look at the symptoms and assign them different types of meaning. So the system of conventional medicine has developed these words that are these diagnostic words that have meaning within that system, but they only really have meaning within that system. They like, as soon as you get out of that system and just that sentence alone is complex, right? The idea of coming out of that system um, right. And whether it's fully possible to do that or not, like a large part of what I was thinking about when I was reading back through the through the, the notes here for this topic was that um, was that, you know, this this model, the pharmaceutical model primarily is the dominant paradigm for medicine in our culture. And anybody who grew up here that shapes your expectations of what medicine is. Yes. What it how it works. What health is. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So we're all susceptible to that. And even if up here in the front of your brain, you're, you're like, oh, no, I recognize the limits of just trying to solve everything with drugs all of the time. And I know that that's not great. And that's not what I want from my doctors and whatever. Even if you're doing that actively, like back over here. Yes. In the undergrowth, you know, yes. <laughs> some stuff is lurking and it's hard to shake. So uh, so that's why we like to keep talking about this. <laughs> so yeah. when when I say that diseases are made up or diagnosis, diagnostic words are made up or whatever, this true, but that does not mean that I am saying conventional medicine isn't real, right? I'm just saying that it's one approach to health and it is not the same approach that herbalism has traditionally been. And so when we try to overlay herbalism and conventional modern medicine together, while it's obviously not impossible to do because people do it all the time, it's not ideal. It's got, it doesn't come together seamlessly at all. Yeah. It would be like from the One Direction saying, uh, what is the right herb for migraine? And we talk a lot about why that's problematic and how, well, there's lots of different tissue states or energetic expressions that can be taking place in a migraine. Mm -hmm. You could have one kind where it's very hot and there's lots of blood in the head and your face is all red and flushed and pounding and full. And for that, maybe we want willow and betony and skullcap. But you could have another kind of migraine where all the blood is drained out of your head and it's tight and it's dry and you need like linden and maybe some evening primrose and tulsi to mm. moisten and increase blood flow upwards, right? So the name migraine doesn't really match very well to any particular herb. And so saying what herb is right for migraine is a question that's going to lead you into a dead end. But I'm, today I'm thinking to myself, we could come at this the other way too and be like, what's the right pill for somebody with a hot constitution? 
What? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you can't say that either. Right? Like, yeah. Uh, do we give them Advil? I don't. <laughs> how do, where do you even start? Right. Yeah. Like, and and there you're like, yeah, I'm really running into a running into that wall there. Yeah. Um. So. It doesn't. It, this is not. There. Neither system is better or worse. Right. If you need a skin graft, then you need the the system of conventional medicine and the and the words that they use to talk about things and the you all of the different parts of that system are required if that's what you need if you need open heart surgery you need all of the parts of that system and you don't necessarily always need that you don't always need open heart surgery sometimes you need something different sometimes you need um, you know, some chamomile tea in an early bedtime. That's what I need when I have a migraine. And some fish a couple times a week. Yes. <laughs> and yes. a walk and more sleep. Yeah. Yeah. All right, all right. Yeah. So, so, so it's like finding the right tool for the job here. It, neither tool is better or worse. Um, each one has advantages. Each one has some drawbacks. But they, but to be clear that we want to choose the right tool for the job and also that intertwining them is like you can't be in one system and just drag s some tools from the other system in mm. you you need to be able to think about the two systems parallel but as separate holes mm. Mm. kind of like once you get married to somebody you don't really become one life you still have two lives you're still you know we still have our own personalities and everything else or like once you become a parent you're not really just somebody's mom. You still are a real life person <laughs> with a real life and real everything, except for to some people, you're just somebody's mom. And for a long time, that even becomes your name. Oh, you're just Amber's mom. Oh, you're just Johnny's mom. Like, oh, you're just whatever. And uh, so that that might be a thing that you've experienced. And, and that's the same here is that Herbalism is not just weak drugs. It's not just natural medicine. It's not just what like it. It has its own whole life and its own whole, all that stuff. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Okay. So yeah. So again, you know, at the top of every, every podcast episode, we say that we're not doctors. We're herbalists. We're educators, um, and that we're not practicing medicine. And we do that because we want to be within the law. Right, we don't want anybody to come along and throw us in the clink for practicing medicine without a license. <laughs> uh, and we also don't want anybody to come along and think, "Hey, that sounds like medicine. I should do that because it sounds like medicine." Well, for us, that's kind of the more important part, honestly. Right. Like, I'm not, I'm not most days worried about somebody thinking that I'm that I'm a doctor and or trying to be one and and getting in trouble for it. I'm much more interested on the day to day basis about people recognizing that I'm not some kind of ultimate authority that they just do what I say because mm. I have a podcast. I don't know. like <laughs> <laughs> Because I teach school. Because like I school? have a fancy <laughs> website. I mean, I, maybe I'm a half-decent web designer, but I don't know. Like, <laughs> like, not, not really, honestly. But, but anyway, look, like, uh, we're not an authority. We're, we're, we're a source of information. Yeah. And with herbalism, there's no one definitive source of information. You can look at podcast episode 100, the definitive guide to herbalism, for more about that. <laughs> yeah, and discover that there is no definitive guide to herbalism. Yeah. Right, there can't be. All of this is to say that everybody is different. And so nobody has leukemia in exactly the same way as somebody else having leukemia. Nobody has migraines that are exactly the same as somebody else's migraines. And... Also, there's not exactly one way to fix any of this stuff. Like, maybe, maybe you're having migraines or uh, let, hold on. I won't make an example up. I'll use my mom. My mom has, has in her life had terrible migraines. When I was in school, I can remember there would be like days and days where no one could make any noise in the house and everything like, because mom had a migraine and she had to be in bed and everything was really awful for her and I remember at some point that she started taking Imitrex which did make a really big difference and she had she had some special form of Advil that worked sometimes if she took it at exactly the right time and then sometimes she took the Imitrex but she didn't want to take it too often because she didn't want it to stop working and 
she had like all these different drugs that she had learned over time some were prescription and some were over the counter she learned over time exactly how to like time them so that they would be most effective and that was what she needed to do at that point in her life because that was what was available to her from a resource perspective Mm -hmm. at that time in her life she didn't have time to think about So why am I getting these migraines and what should I be doing different about my life so that I don't get them anymore? Or, gee, I wonder if I could do this naturally or whatever. Like that just wasn't a a reality in her life right then because because she was too busy and too too many things. Yeah, but also never had any uh, any push or any invitation Invi- to or, consider things in a different way. Yeah, like right. no introduction to, right. hey, there's a different way. Um, and then much later in life, uh, my mom was um, not listening to things that, that we say because <laughs> it's pretty impossible to, um, you know, like at, when you become an herbalist, you want to work with the people that you love most and you want to fix everything about them and make them totally healthy and happy and whatever. And that doesn't work. Um and and so instead, I had given my mom some of Paul Bergner's recorded lectures. And uh, finally, she was like, hey, did you know that if you eat too much sugar, this could happen? Oh, my goodness. Did you know that this happens if you eat gluten? And I was like, I believe it's saying this forever. But, but it's true. Like, nobody's a prophet in their own town or whatever that saying is mm-hmm. in their own land. Yeah, something yeah. like that. Um, and so... So eventually my mom did become introduced to a bunch of ideas and had that introduction at a time in her life where she had some resources to be able to act on it, right? Because it's not just knowing, it's also being able to take the action. Mm. And now she doesn't get migraines anymore. She has drastically made changes in her diet. She has made changes in her lifestyle. Um, And she just almost never, I mean, maybe once a year or so, she almost never has a migraine anymore. Hmm. My point with this example is that there's there's not one right answer. And there was a time in her life when the pharmaceuticals were what she needed to do to keep herself going and to just get through the day and deal with everything that was going on in life. Later in life, when things were a little bit less complicated for her, uh, she had the space to investigate other options and then to start to take action on those other options. Yeah. And, you know, look, um, the the tools, the, the, you know, how to say this, the agents that you're working with aren't the determiner of which system you're working in. Okay. So right. it would, it's totally possible. And there's lots of folks out there who respond to a situation like that and say, I've got a migraine. I need to find migraine herbs. They do a Google search. They find feverfew or meadowsweet or willow. Mm-hmm. Maybe they take them. Maybe it works because sometimes it works, right? Yeah. Sometimes you yeah. literally can just Google an herb, all right? So <laughs> yeah. we don't like to do it. We don't advise it as best practice, but hey, sometimes it actually does it yeah, for you. Yeah, it does. <laughs> and so in that case, uh, you had a symptom. You looked for uh, a painkiller, essentially. You took it and it worked. Great. That wasn't holistic herbalism, right? That wasn't working in the model of identifying all the causative factors and saying what's going on and let me analyze my life pattern and what what could be the things that are contributing to this state and how can I rebalance them? It was more like medicine. It was more like... Allopathic herbalism. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And there's nothing wrong with that. Right. Because the bottom line here is if you feel better at the end of the day, you win. Right. There's no like you don't get a gold star because you never you never ate something that wasn't organic. You know, like you don't win because you never had to take antibiotics. I mean, that's great. But but nobody has a perfect body. Nobody makes it all the way through life with no illness or with no pain or with no injury. And you like there's no way to to survive life without dying. Like, like at some point you're going to die too. And so really the answer is how can you best make it through so that you can get through your day? You can feel the least amount of discomfort that, that is, that you can, Mm -hmm. you can do the most stuff that you want to be able to do. And there's always more that you could do. Right. 
And the thing is that you, you can do all of these things simultaneously, right? You can have uh, Band-Aid herbs or medications or whatever mm -hmm. to, to paper over a symptom now because that's how you get through your day. And at the same time, you could be building uh, foundational health on a, on a systemic level, right? Trying to build healthy systems in your body through diet change or working with gentle, tonic, supportive, nourishing, and adaptogenic herbs, mm. right? Um, it's absolutely possible, and for a lot of people, maybe even the best approach, right? Right, because you're getting some space and some comfort in the short term mm -hmm. as you work on your long term. And the more that you reduce your discomfort, the more energy you have to work on those longer term strategies. Yeah. Yeah. So, so key here is to not judge yourself or others for whatever choice you're making right now. You make the choice you need to make right now. And, and then try to look at your, at your body and say, oh, what could I be doing to um, strengthen myself for the future? What could I be doing to, instead of just putting a Band-Aid over this, to like actually repair the underlying damage that's causing this problem or whatever? And it's fine if you intertwine some conventional medical approaches while you are learning some new holistic approaches. Mm. All of that is totally fine. Just that, to sort of come back around to the very beginning, just that we recognize that they, they're two different systems and, and they do require ultimately two different kinds of thought, although as we shift from one to the other, often there is that space in between where we sort of think about the new system with the rules from the old system. Right. And yeah, and that's not like a linear journey. It's no. Not that, you, that you begin and you're like all shuttered in your conventional wisdom and your pharmaceutical model. And then <laughs> suddenly you see the lights of the holistic herbal day and you're like, ah, now I understand <laughs> everything from the soil up to the to the talus no. leaves. You know, that's, that's not how this works. You're going to have cycles on this. You're going to spiral around. Mm -hmm. There's going to be times when you're like, I don't care. Just give me the painkiller, you know? Yeah. <laughs> or there's going to be times when you get hit by a car and you need to get a bone set and maybe some antibiotics and whatever, right? You need to get a bone set. A bone set. You may also take some bone set. Yeah. <laughs> right, right. Excellent. So, so yeah. Um, but we do think it's important to, to kind of try to do all of this at, at once, right? To see the places where these two different models can work together, to see where they can work in parallel, even though they're doing work in very different ways. Uh, mm. And also to see the places where actually one of these models doesn't actually serve you very well. So, you know, when it's the car accident, we'll do our best to take care of you with our emergent responder first aid skills and yeah. wilderness medicine. But really, it's better if we can get you to a hospital. <laughs> yes, and, absolutely. And on the other hand, you know, if, if you've got, uh, you're like on the way towards congestive heart failure, well, it'd really be better if we switch up your diet and get you started on herbs and overhaul everything now and do the whole holistic approach. But if you need to take a statin for a while... I'm not going to point at you and call you names about it. Right? It's like if, you, if you're if you on that path, let's fix it now before you need surgery rather than getting to the point where you need surgery and then we don't have a flower for that. Hmm. Um, yeah. Yeah. You know, there was something else that you had here in the notes oh. that I wanted to kind of circle back around to you. Um, because I, I have been talking about what we do is not the practice of medicine mm -hmm. and and that we don't mean that, well, just so that I can be legal, I'm going to tell you that it's not medicine. It's actually not medicine. And I was talking about how diseases aren't real and we and, and how we don't treat diseases um, because legally we're not allowed to, but because herbally we don't want to. That's that that is not the direction we build and rebuild health. And so if you need a disease to be treated right now, it is fine to, to go and get conventional help for that while you are acknowledging, oh, I need to build, I need to rebuild some health here because I have clearly some stuff is really broken down. Hmm. And so I need to spend a long time. It might be six months. It might be a year rebuilding foundationally the stuff that has dilapidated, that has deteriorated, that got me to this disease state. And so the doctor can focus on that disease state. 
But what we care about is looking at a person's health and saying, oh, I see, I see the symptoms that you're having and I see where this came from and the things in your body that broke down to get here. And even, oh, I understand why they broke down. Like you had to work two jobs for a long period of time to make ends meet and you weren't getting enough sleep. And, and a lot of these symptoms are the domino effect from that. And how do we build those back up or whatever, just that as one example. And so we're looking at this in a very systemic way and a conventional medical practitioner might be able to patch you back up to get you back to work in this moment, which might be, might be needed because you have to pay bills and stuff like that. Um, but, but what we're looking at is how do we unwind the damage that happened and go back and literally patch every hole so that you don't need to uh, patch yourself up and go back to work, you know, like hold yourself together with duct tape. <laughs> yeah, yes. So that we're not doing that right, anymore. Right. We have literally gone back and fixed all of the structural problems, hmm. and now you don't need to address that disease state anymore because all the structural problems that led to it no longer exist. Yeah, ideally. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, but again, it's going to be best if we can, if we can work fluidly, if we can move with some agility between, uh, different perspectives and it's going to help us to be able to see more sides of the problem. Mm. Yeah. That's what we like. So it's okay. In fact, it's really good to learn how to collaborate, especially if you are a practicing herbalist to learn how to collaborate with conventional medical practitioners. It's not always easy because um, sometimes they're not interested in natural therapies or sometimes they think that they aren't effective. But when we can educate people and help them understand that we're not trying to do the same job, we're not competing for the same work, um, and that, that instead we're doing complementary tasks here, then then we can really work in partnership um, to do the short-term work that has to be done and then the long-term rebuilding as well. That's what. Yeah. All right. Well, that's it for us this week. Thanks for listening. And we'll be back next week with some more Holistic Herbalism podcast for you. Until then, take care of yourselves. Take care of each other. Drink some tea. tea. (laughs) Maybe have a nice nap. And have a nap. There we go. (laughs) Sounds great. Bye. Bye Bye-bye.